This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Parents, are you excited? It's the last week of school. You don't have to... You don't have to make any more lunches. Do you remember first week of school? Matching Avengers, sandwich cases, Disney princess, gluten-free. First week, you spent hours the night before preparing their lunches. Last week of school, a piece of bread and a grocery bag. (laughs) Figure it out. You still have to feed them this summer, but you don't have to prepare lunches, which is a super blessing for all of us. All right, we are in week four of Experience Church, and what we have been talking about in this series is looking at the things from the scriptures that we would see Jesus emphasizes for his followers, because all of us that have grown up in church, or maybe you were a CEO person growing up, CEO, Christmas and Easter only. And so, you know, you went to church a couple times a year, and then maybe if there was a funeral wedding, an extra time throughout the year, and then you had an idea of what church should look like and sound like and what the architecture should be. And we bond to all of these things growing up in our upbringing, and then sometimes these exterior things or or just even the colors on the wall and what the stage should look like and how the pastor should dress and blah, 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 X, Y, Z, all of these things that become traditions for us, that people end up fighting over these traditions, and these traditions aren't actually that important. It's the the depth of the principles in the scripture that we want to see what Jesus emphasized. So we have to move beyond just our preferences and find out the purposes of the church. And also seeing ourselves as an active member of the church, a contributor to the church, not just a consumer of church services. You know, church is not just another experience. Like, you know, we go shopping, we go to the movies, we do this, and then we go to church and we just consume church services. You know, the, the church is not a building. The church is you. The church is people. And God has called all of us as his Christ followers to be involved in the church, in a local church. So there's millions of local churches gathering all around of the, all around the world. All these local family of believers gathering under the name of Jesus, the banner of Christ, so that we can do the works of Jesus. When Jesus was walking the earth, the, the works of Jesus were limited to him in his body. And now all of us are called the body of Christ. So we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus, doing the Jesus stuff here in our city, in our community, and embracing what those ideas are, what those principles are, those transcendent ideas about the church, not not the things specific to the generation that I grew up in and the songs that they sang when I was young. How many of you still, if you grew up in church, you know, you can still hear that song that was played when you were at youth camp and you cried at youth camp, and then you know, you know that song I'm talking about? Your kids hate that song. You know, my parents, there's, you know, there's certain hymns that my parents will sing, and they'll just be bawling. I'm like, this song is boring me right now. But what is that? We have this amazing moment with God in this certain thing, but the certain thing, the song itself is not the important thing. It's God himself. That's the important thing. And those ideas, those principles that Jesus has given to us, those eternal principles. So we've been trying to emphasize those things here in this series. And we're going to talk about one more of those today. So let's turn again to Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have a physical Bible or a digital Bible, let's open it up. Let's read it for ourselves. Matthew chapter 4. 
verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Jesus talking about, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, salvation. Follow me, relationship with God. And I will make you fishers of men. Everybody that Jesus invites into salvation, he also invites into his mission. So we're supposed to experience our relationship with God, have a real experience with the presence of God, the saving power of God, the forgiveness of God. But then because we experience that, we're supposed to help somebody else have that same experience. Have that same experience in church, a young person, somebody who's far from God, that because God has done something in me, he wants to do something through me also. Everybody that's invited into salvation is also invited into mission. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking his disciples. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the, the church is built on this notion that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the cornerstone of our faith. He's the cornerstone of the church. And what is Jesus doing? He's building his church. So what does that mean? He's building you and I. It's not just this building. It's not this physical space that we meet in. The church is you. And so God is building you. He's, he's developing what he's put on the inside of you. He's moving you closer to himself. You are on this constant sanctification process, becoming more and more like Christ. But then he's also building the church numerically. He's drawing people to himself. And he wants to use you to do that. He wants to use the church to grow the church. And the church is us. And then it's so just like Tyler and, Jane, Tyler and Ellen were talking about. It's a privilege to be part of the thing that Jesus is building. That he has been building for 2,000 years. And we get to be privileged to be built by Jesus, that he is, and we get to contribute to this thing, this church that he is building. So we want to emphasize the thing in this family, in this local body of believers. And the first week we talked about this idea of just being a Jesus-centered church. That's what our church is about, Jesus. Moving closer to Jesus. And the first week, we just talked about all of those things about who Jesus is so we can constantly experience in our lives in a very real saving way, a very real lordship way, who Jesus is. I want to experience that, and I want to experience it every day. And then when I experience that, I can help somebody else experience who Jesus is. The second week, we talked about being privileged to serve, that this attitude that Jesus came, that Jesus didn't come to serve or, or to be served. He actually came to serve, that he laid himself down, that he took on the form of a servant. And this should be our attitude as followers of Jesus when we're gathering together. Hey, I'm here to serve. I'm here to be a blessing. And then last week we talked about being unified together. Yes, God saves us all as individuals and we choose individually to follow Jesus. But then he unites us together for a purpose. 
we gather together for a purpose. There should be no Christians off on their own. Uh, Every Christian is called to be part of a local family of believers. And this is what, there's tremendous power when we do things in unity. And that's what we want to do here at our church. So if you missed any of those messages and you call the City Church home, I recommend you go back, listen to them on our podcast or on our website or through the app so we can all be on the same page. So today I want to talk about creating an environment of love. Now here we have a physical environment here in this building that God has blessed us with and it looks a certain way and it has a certain vibe and things like that. But what all of us can do as individual Christ followers that we can all individually contribute to creating an environment of love here in our church. So I want to um, recruit all of you. In a sense, if this is your home church, you'd be like, you know what, part of what we see, and I'm going to read you a ton of scriptures today about this idea of love and how important love is in the life of a Christ follower. Because we want to live out this ethic of love, that everything um, that we have in our relationship with God comes from love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So every experience that we have from God, when we experience salvation, salvation comes from love. When we experience God's healing power, we, we get healed because God loves us. When we experience forgiveness, it's because God loves us. When we experience God's mercy, it's all sourced in the love of the Father. So anything good we experience at church from the Spirit of God comes from the Spirit of love. The Scripture tells us that God is love. So that means that people that have received his love should also help others experience his love. And that's the environment that we can create every time we gather together, whether it's Sunday morning at church or whether it's a women's event, men's event, as we serve in one of our city groups. What can we do? We can contribute to this environment of love, living out this love ethic. Now, the type of love I'm talking about, the God kind of love, is love based on a choice. Moving beyond just a feeling. You know, thank God for the feeling of love. You know, and if you're, if you're young in here and you're single and you're trying to find that significant other, you know, you want, you want to have that love experience, right? And you want to have that feeling and you want to see them like a rom-com situation where you see somebody and, uh, wait, it's them. (laughs) Gotta get to you. Like, you know, you need that. Like, you want that, right? And I want that for you. I want that for all of the single people in the, in the room. If you, if you want to get married, I want that for you. But there's a little bit of, there's a, not, that's just a feeling of love. There's a little bit of, you know, hormones happening there. There's a little bit of lust going on. And so it kind of all gets mixed together. But I'm talking about love based on a choice. It's a deeper, it's a stronger love. You know, everybody on their wedding day and you're all dressed up and you're beautiful and you're making these vows and you're crying. <laughs> and you feel the love. I just feel, uh, where would I be without you? There will be some point in your marriage that you're not feeling any of that. <laughs> that you're like, who, who did I marry? What the, maybe it was the wrong person. I don't know. In those moments when we are choosing love that's deeper and it's stronger than just a love that we would feel. And this is the love I'm talking about. The love based on a choice. God chose to love us even while we were still sinners. God made that choice. 
And so it's the strong type of God love that I'm going to choose to love. Love based on a commitment, not a feeling. Feelings are going to come and go and they're going to be a certain way and they're going to, they're going to wane and they're going to ebb and flow. But the type of love that's based on a commitment, love that looks like sacrifice. I'm going to give myself for you. It's a choice that I'm making. Our, our faith lived out looks like love. The book of Galatians tells us that faith works through love. I, I believe something, and then when I live it out, what is it going to look like? It's going to look like love. You know, Jesus' half-brother James, he talks about this notion. He says, you know, you, you tell me what you believe. And James says, well, well, that's great. The devils also believe. But show me your faith by what you do. So it's not just ideas that we would have about the scripture or doctrine that I would, I, you know, my favorite doctrine is this, and this is what I believe, and it's different than the other Christians, and blah, blah, blah. And we like to do that as Christians. But faith lived out, faith experienced by other people in my life looks like love. Because the relationship I have with God is a loved-based relationship. That God has existed in eternity past. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this relationship of love. And that's the relationship that he has with you. And that's the relationship that he wants you to live out. And we want to experience that here in our church. In our church family, we want to experience love. Faith in action is love. And then another thing about love, it's loving people with whom we disagree. And the church has to get better at this. Because the church does disagree with certain people in the world. But we can disagree with somebody and still love them. We don't have to agree with everything out there in the culture and the world. We, don't have, we can't change the scripture. The scripture says this about God and the way we should live. But we can disagree in love. We can still love you and completely disagree with you. And this is something that we have to get good at in the church. And then not only with the world, but with one another. That maybe we have different political views here in the church with somebody that's sitting in our row. Could you believe it? Somebody with a different political view sitting in your row. Well, what are we going to do? We got to learn to love somebody who doesn't think exactly like us. Because the reality is all of us in this room, not all of us think exactly alike in everything in life. Every doctrinal point, we probably don't have 100% agreement on all of these things. But we have to learn to love people that we disagree with. And that is love based on a choice. And then also, we need to love the world. We need to love people who are far from God. Because you know what? God loves them. God cares about them. Here we go. We're going to go through a bunch of love scriptures this morning. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Everybody say one another. So Jesus is telling his followers, that's us. The new commandment, the new singular 
New Testament, New Covenant commandment is love. Well, someone says, well, what about, what about the Ten Commandments? Don't we need to do the Ten Commandments? If you do the love commandment, you will do the Ten Commandments. Because you're not going to steal from somebody that you love. So that's how we're going to satisfy the Ten Commandments is living the ethic of love. Living the way Jesus told us to live. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. How did Jesus love us? Through sacrifice. By this, love these verses. By this, what this? Love. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We need to believe these verses. Followers of Jesus need to take this seriously. See, once again, I mentioned about our beliefs and we have specific beliefs and I've got doctrinal positions upon doctrinal positions and I like this and I like this famous preacher and these are the things that I believe. But Jesus is not telling us that they're going to know we're followers of him by what we believe. It's if we love each other. This is what Jesus wants us to be known for. That doesn't mean that we won't have beliefs because beliefs lived out look like love. So the community of, of Jesus followers, what is it going to look like? We love each other. Are we going to agree all of the time on everything? No, but what are we going to do? We're going to love each other. And this is the type of community that's attractive to outsiders. That we would just be a group of people. I'm not sure that I believe exactly what those people believe, but they sure do love each other. They've created an environment there in that church, and it's just really interesting. They just really care about each other, and they really love each other. And then somebody might want to investigate what we believe based on us doing what Jesus told us to do. See, we try to get... Secular companies to do this. A couple years ago, all the Christians, some of the Christians, not me, um, were up in arms because Starbucks didn't put Merry Christmas on their cups. Since Christians, we're going to boycott Starbucks. First of all, I'm not boycotting Starbucks. Second of all, why are we asking a secular company to preach the gospel? That is our responsibility. That's the thing we're supposed to be doing. Why would we be asking a company? I can get super excited about these things. Let's us do the Jesus stuff. Let's us do the thing that Jesus wanted. Hey, how are we, how are they going to know that you're followers of me? Jesus is, is telling us, well, we're going to love each other. One another. Learn to love each other. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. Everybody say one another. That's us. People here in the room, this local family, we've got to love each other as I have loved you. Verse 17 of the same chapter. These things I command you so that you will love one another. We've got to love each other. Here we are in this local family of believers. You know, the, the, other than our experiences with God and experiencing salvation and the goodness of God and the presence of God, the best part about church is people. And then the worst part about church is people. A bunch of broken, messed up people gathering together on a Sunday. Whenever we gather in groups, whatever we're doing, whether we're serving the community, what are we? We're just, it's, we need a savior, right? 
And so church can get messy sometimes. Why? Because there's, there's people there. You know, you've heard the saying, you know, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. <laughs> there's no such thing as a perfect church. Why? Because there's broken people there. There's people struggling with life there. There's people struggling with their flesh there, which means you too. So we get in a community and sometimes it's going to be hard. And it's so easy for people today because a lot of great churches out there, which is wonderful. But anytime, you know, people get into a difficult relational situation at church, they just bail. Well, if you're going to get out, not that you can never leave a church. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to see our, ourselves as, as a part of the family of God as something important. And here, the Apostle Paul writes to us and, and gives us some advice in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, the book of Ephesians is, is a great book. And it, the whole first part of it gives us all of these wonderful spiritual truths about us being in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And all of these amazing spiritual things that Jesus has accomplished for us. And in the back half of the book... It's taking all of that spiritual part and saying, okay, here's how you live in family now. Here, here's what husbands need to do and wives need to do and friends need to do. And here's how you live at church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Everybody say one another. What are we going to do with one another? We're going to bear one another. I have some information for you today. Something that your family already knows. You're hard to bear sometimes. And I know this is true for me and my family. You know, dad, the jokes. It's not funny today. But you keep telling them. And I'm going to keep telling them. And I'm hard to bear sometimes. In fact, I can actually be overbearing, so I'm told. I think it's a gift. But apparently, <laughs> apparently it's hard to bear. You're hard to bear sometimes, as sweet and as lovely as you are. You're, just, you're a little bit much to take sometimes. But what is the scripture telling us to do with one another? What are we going to do? We're going to bear with one another. Why would we bear with one another? We have something to do. As the church, we've got something to do. And so we're going to put all that fighting aside and we're going to, oh, you're too much and you, you should know better and you're a follower of Jesus. You should know better and then you, uh, you should know better and you know what are we going to do? We're going to bear with one another. How are we going to do it? We're going to do it humbly, realizing people are putting up with us too. We're going to be humble about ourselves. And then what are we going to do? We're going to be patient. We're going to be patient with one another. Why? We've got stuff to do. We've got a, a whole city kids full of kids over there. That one day they're going to take over the church. This church and many other churches. And we've got to put away some of our things that separate us. Why? We've got work to do. We've got some discipleship to do. We've got a city to reach. We've got, there's some people that are far from God in our city that we can actually reach. We can't reach everybody. We, we can reach somebody. So we're going to put away some of those things. We're going to bear with one another. We're going to be patient with each other. Why? Because we have some things to do. First Peter chapter 4 verse 8. 
It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all. Above everything else. Here's something that I want you to do with each other. The Apostle Peter is writing to us. Above everything else, man, honestly, earnestly love each other. And I've been saying this a lot in this series, but it bears repetition. When you get up and you know service is happening, you're going to small group, or you're you're going to serve in the city, you're going to get together with other believers. What am I, what what, what should some of my thoughts be? Man, I'm going to love somebody today. I'm going to care for somebody today. Even if they don't sing my favorite song, and then even if Pastor Brent preaches a message I don't like, you'd be wrong anyway, but (laughs) I'm going to love somebody today. I'm going to bring what God has given to me, and I'm going to bring that to others. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Access the love that God has given you because God has given you genuine, authentic love. He's given you forgiveness. He's given you mercy. And it wasn't cheap. It cost the life of Jesus. He was sincere and earnest when he gave it to you. So what are we going to do? We're going to be genuine lovers of each other. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we've got a competition every Sunday. And I love that because I love competition. What is the competition? We're going to honor each other. I'm going to honor you. You're going to honor me. Then we're going to create an environment here and an irresistible environment for people to come into and experience the love of God. We're going to honor each other. Outdo one another in honor. And I love that phrase, brotherly affection. My sister and I don't always get along. Can any siblings in the room know what I'm talking about? And, and you know, we've had... Not not saying recent, because we're a little bit older now. We're younger. We had some... These are all verbal phrases. Knock down, drag them out arguments. But if anybody comes against my sister, there's trouble. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And that's the way we need to be with each other. We need to be on each other's side, even in a difficult moment. There's brotherly affection. There's family stuff happening in... Our church. Do not be slothful. In other words, don't be lazy. We're we're bringing something to the family of God. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. See, serving the Lord is mixed up all in how we treat people. See, we can't separate our worship of God and our, and our relationship with God from how we treat people. See, we have this vertical relationship with God, but then how we treat people on the horizontal is so very important because this feeds this. How God has given us 
his love. And then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love one another. How do we be spiritual in this environment? I'm going to read you some verses here in Galatians chapter 6 that, that I would say saved me in one sense. They didn't save me for eternity. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, they saved me in the context of church. Because a couple of the church experiences I had, you know, growing up. There, did anybody have some weird people in your church growing up? I see that hand. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, if that's what being spiritual is, I'm out. I, I don't want that. If I can't be a normal human, if I can't have a conversation with somebody without saying praise the Lord, hallelujah, like 75 times... You know, I just, this is not my thing. But what, when I found these verses, I actually found out that that actually isn't spiritual. These verses saved me. I'll read them with you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. See, this is what the spiritual people in church are doing. They're not drawing unnecessary attention to themselves by outbursts in the service. The spiritual people are actually restoring people. They're finding a broken person, somebody who's struggling. They're doing the things that Jesus does. They're, they're doing the things that Jesus came actually for broken people. And the spiritual people are restoring somebody. Somebody who's going through a hard time, somebody who's struggling, somebody who just lost their job, somebody who just lost a loved one, somebody who's taken a wrong turn in life, made a stupid decision. The spiritual people are restoring those people. You know, it, it's been said of the church that the church is the only army that kills their wounded. And we can't be that. There are going to be people in our community in our church community, that are going to be wounded. There's going to be struggles going on. And what should we do? What does it look to be spiritual in those moments? i, I got to restore that person. Yeah, I want to bring that person back. This is what the spiritual people do. And this is what the spiritual people will do here at the city church. How are we going to restore them? In the spirit of gentleness. Not in the spirit of anger, not in the spirit of frustration. I can't believe you did it again. Maybe this time for sure you're going to hell. I don't know. No, no, no. How are we going to, what are we going to do in the spirit of gentleness? Listen to what it says. Keep a watch on yourself. See, when somebody makes a mistake, somebody does something wrong, somebody does something anti-scripture, anti-God, and you know that it's anti-scripture. What, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do this with humility. Know that we can be tempted just like them. We're not looking down our nose at somebody who's made a mistake. We're coming alongside of them knowing that we are human too. And we have made mistakes. And somebody spiritual restored us. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. 
where is it going to show up? Spiritual person, broken person, restoration. That I see myself is contributing to the environment of love. First Corinthians chapter 8. This portion of scripture can be a little bit blind to us. But here in Corinth, in this time, there was, there was a Christian church, but then there was also all of these temples that had false idols in them. And what people would do in these temples, they would offer food to these idols. And it was a little bit of a struggle for sometimes for people um, in the church at Corinth that some people in the church would go in and eat the food that was offered to idols. And some other people in the church were really bothered by this, thinking, you know, you're, this is food that's offered to a pagan god. You certain, certainly shouldn't be eating that food. And it was kind of a preference thing that was causing a struggle in relationships. And the Apostle Paul addresses that here in this portion of Scripture. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know it yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known of God. Therefore, as to eating food offered to idols, we know, Paul says, an idol has no real existence. And there is only, and there is no God but one. So what is Paul saying? He's like, okay, you know, let's talk about idols for a second. Someone offers food to a, a fake idol. Nothing is actually, there's no interchange happening. This is just a piece of wood or a piece of metal. And, and there's only the creator God. So nothing really spiritual is happening when somebody offers food to an idol is the premise that Paul is saying. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as easily offered to an idol, and their conscience is weak, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we eat. We are no better off if we do. Eating food does not make you closer to God or far from God. It's a good principle Paul is telling us. So anybody who's arrogant about their diet, you're not closer to Jesus anyway. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So Paul says, I have this freedom. I can go eat food from idols because nothing is actually happening. But I'm going to consider the things that I am doing and how they're affecting somebody who's weak in faith. I'm not an island to myself. Paul is showing us in very practical terms that our faith and how we live out our faith can affect somebody else and it can affect somebody weak in a negative way. So the choices that I'm making as a follower of Jesus are important in relation to somebody else. But this, these very first words Paul said in this, he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So any biblical knowledge that we have, thank God for it. And any doctrinal positions that you hold, thank God, wonderful, I'm excited for you. But the potential can be that this knowledge that I have can make me arrogant. And what Paul is saying is that the knowledge that we have in relationship to God should move us to love. 
Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the reason that I would, I'm going to go to the scripture and I'm going to memorize some verses and I'm going to spend time reading the Bible so that I can grow my faith in God, but then also I'm going to use that knowledge in a loving way to build somebody else up. Last story, we're going to look here in Acts chapter 10. And this is, this whole story is about this guy named Cornelius. And he, the scripture tells us that he's Italian and his, uh, his giving and his prayer come up before God. And then he has this vision. And in the vision, uh, the angel tells him, you know, t- to go find Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, to send for Peter. And then Peter would give them words of salvation. And in the same time, Peter's in a certain place at this guy's name, this guy's house named Simon the Tanner, and he's hungry, and he goes up on the roof of this house, and he has this vision, and the same thing happens three times, and on this sheet comes down all of these animals, and in the vision, he hears this phrase, rise and eat, and all of these animals are actually restricted based on Levitical law that Jewish people cannot eat this food. And the same vision happens three times. And Peter's like, I don't really understand what this vision means. And right around that same time, the, the people from Cornelius' house show up. And they, they ask about Peter. And they ask Peter to come to Cornelius' house. And then we, we see the story pick up here in verse 28. He said to them, you are all aware that this is against the law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections that I may, that I may ask why you sent for me. Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this very, at this hour, and at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. And said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. So Cornelius was desiring to know God. There's people in our city that want to know God, but they actually don't know that they want to know God. You know, that one of the most Googled things for people is they're like, well, what is the purpose of life? There's so many people struggling in our city, in our community that are far from God. And sometimes we have biblical knowledge if we have understanding we were part of a church and sometimes we can think maybe we're better than the people in our community who don't go to church who aren't in the family of God knowledge puffs up but love builds up so here Peter is having this experience with this group who's far from God verse 31 Cornelius God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. Cornelius continues, says, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. You know that God is interested in every person in our community. God is interested in every person on our street. God is interested in every person that we work with. 
in our family that is far from him. And I know we love the love of God and to experience his salvation. But you know that God doesn't actually love us more than somebody who's not in church today. That God loves everybody in our city equally. But here, Cornelius, this family who is far from God, that they're there and they're interested in the words of salvation. Peter, tell us about God. Peter, verse 35, uh, let's go to 34 again. But Peter began to speak. I realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to his people of Israel announcing good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all see the good news is all about Jesus for somebody who's far from God we have the good news see the question is not does God love the people in our community and in our families and the people that we work with the question is are we going to love them Or are we just going to think we're God's favorite? Or are we going to know that the people in our lives, they're broken image bearers of God too, just like us. That that we need a savior, that we needed a savior. Last verse and we're finished. Romans chapter two, verse four. Or do you show a contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? How is somebody going to turn from doing their thing, living life the way they're deciding? They're going to turn their feet. That's what repentance means. Repentance means turn around. That someone's going to turn and follow God. What is the scripture telling us here? It's because of kindness. God's kindness. Now, God's kindness exists in the spirit realm, but it also exists in your heart and it needs to come out of our lives. That's something that will draw somebody to God is the kindness of God that I can live out. It is the love of God that's on the inside of me. God wants me to live it out. That he wants me to live it out in here with each other. Love one another. And they will know you are my disciples indeed. But we also know that God, we are not the favorites of God. That God loves everybody in this city. That the people who are out there and are broken and who are struggling. That God's kindness and love needs to flow through me. Through somebody else. To draw that person to Jesus. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for your love today. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.